The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. Hey, are you a jock that likes comics? Are you a nerd that likes comics? Do you feel left out sometimes? Well, then we've got the show for you. I'm Imran. And I'm Anthony. He's the jock. And he's the nerd. And we host the Jock and Nerd podcast at jockandnerd.com. If you're looking for fun, entertaining, laugh-out-loud geek chat over all the latest Marvel DC shows and news, visit jockandnerd.com. Full spoiler podcast, lots of swearing. Uh, you're such a jock. You're such a nerd. Oh, come on. Shut up, nerd. Okay. This is a Danger Entertainment Podcast. DangerEntertainment.net Danger Entertainment Podcast Network. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is a streaming freedom audio bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is your dashing duo, Derek and Mike. And we're being joined tonight with one of the stars of the independent film that released today, I believe. As we're today. And that's voice right there is the voice of Kat Alter. Or as another interview called her earlier today, as she was telling us, Altair. Yes. Maybe a little, fr- <laughs> a little French Altair. feel there. <laughs> Maybe they had an ulterior motive. Yeah, they probably did. Yeah, it's got to be it. <laughs> you know, as long as they don't call me Cat Atler, that's fine. You know, <laughs> only if I'm dis- only if my dyslexia kicks in. Yeah, yeah. No, so. I understand that. But you know, alter is a word in the dictionary, and you'd be surprised how often someone says Atler. I- <laughs> I believe it. Um, so tell us a little bit about Addicted to Love. Or I'm sorry, uh, Addicted it, to You. It is about <laughs> love addiction. So you're not off there. But Addicted, Addicted to You is about a guy named Luke who works at kind of a BuzzFeed sort of place. It's called Buzz Story. And uh, yes, very far off. And I'm the new co-worker and we meet. And at first I seem totally normal. And then by the next day, I'm completely obsessed. I'm so clingy, kind of in scary, mentally ill sort of way. And him and his friends try and come up with ways to let me down easy because he's kind of a playboy type. And they decide to say that he's a sex addict. And that yesterday he just, he, uh, you know, let his addiction get away from him. And um, our boss hears this, who's actually a sex addict, and takes him to an essay meeting. So it's, um, 
It's a pretty funny, raunchy rom-com. And um, I think it's a good day. It's a good Valentine's Day movie because it's not too um, girly like The Notebook. It's not sappy in any way. It's just like a really funny movie with a little bit of romance spiced in there. Yeah. um, I know we both saw the screener. Uh, Oh, cool. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very enjoyable film. Yeah. For, For your character, how did you prep to go that direction? Is it based on actual dates you had or? You know, not really. So Mike, the writer, I've known him for a while. We did a show together at Second City in Hollywood. We did this sketch show once a week where he was a writer and two of the other actors, Shoni and Garrett, were also actors in the sketch show. And so we've been improvising and working together for a while. And Mike really wanted to write something as a vehicle for us. And it started off as kind of a small project. Just a, maybe it'll be a short. I'm not sure what this will turn into. And it just got legs. And then suddenly we are shooting an independent feature. And what was so fun about it is all of us have been improvising with each other for so long. And we cast all other um, improvisers, too. So on set, although we had a script, we were really trusted to just, like, go for it. So we just improvised a ton. Some of the funniest lines in the movie, I'd say maybe 80% of the funniest lines, like, laugh out loud funny lines in the movie are things that we just came up with on the cuff. Okay, so, that, so the script was more of, here's the general idea of what we need you to get to, get there. Well, we would, we would always shoot one version clean. And a lot of times if you're, um, so I've been done Modern Family and a couple other shows too, they always want you to get one um, version that's straight to script. And uh-huh. then they want you to be able to loosen it up a little bit. I'm a writer and director too. And when you're working on a script it can sometimes be tough to write for each individual character and making their voices all sound different and come from a different like life perspective and if you have really good improvisational actors they can really make that character in their voice and they can find funny things that like you didn't even think of so as long as you trust the actors to actually do the work and have fun playing together there's such an opportunity to find like just great funny little kernels so I wouldn't say we were completely off the script but there was huge opportunity to if I thought of a joke I would just add it in or I would go up to Mike and I would be like I think this is funny do you think this is funny like absolutely let's try that so there was a lot of um creative energy going around on, on that set and even when we weren't filming some of us would just be like in crafty where we had snacks and just improvising scenes not even scenes about the movie just us being weird improvising geeks and being like let's just keep being funny let's keep this on okay yeah. that sounds like a um good set to work on then Oh, yeah. No, it was it was very fun. And because it was an indie, you know, we had to work around everyone else's busy schedules. You know, people have other things they're filming, other jobs, children. So, um, you know, we were filming on weekends here and there. We weren't doing just, uh, you know, three weeks of shooting. So this was kind of like a whole year of our lives working together. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was about 
it was about nine months and we would take breaks here and there. Um, but it was definitely a long process. And I don't know, I think it was, it was more fun because every time we got back together to work on it, we were energized. It's not like, oh, we've been here for, we've been toiling <laughs> for two weeks. It's like, oh, we get to come back and play together this weekend. So it, it was very fun. Did you find it easier, uh, even though it took longer, um, did you find it easier to film this way for this particular film? Or would you have preferred uh, a chance of going three weeks a month straight? Um, well, my producer brain says that it's harder to do it the way we did. Because unfortunately, people's looks change over a year. People lose and gain weight. People grow their hair. They grow their facial hair. I remember one day we showed up to set and Garrett had had no longer had a beard. When in uh. the scene previous that we shot two months prior, he had, you know, a significant amount of stubble. And we're like, we can't shoot today. Like, you can't go from having, it doesn't, it won't make sense in the movie. So we had to just skip that scene today or i and i think actually we had some of the makeup girls try and fill in what he had too and it just it wasn't gonna work so we had to postpone it so there's like little problems like that that you don't um that you don't think about but scheduling wise it is really hard doing an indie where you're maybe not paying everyone to be there a lot of people are giving their time away for free you know like I did, um, <laughs> that you have to work around their schedules. You know, if they have a paying gig, you can't tell them, please miss that <laughs> and come work for free. So we did we did what we had to do and it, it worked. Since it took so long, you said sometimes there'd be two months between shooting. Did you find it hard to get back into character or did she return fairly easy? Because uh, your uh, character is Amy, I believe. Yeah, she returned pretty easily for me she's um you know when i read the script and i saw that she's basically a nut job it was so fun for me (laughs) as an improviser because that meant that i have no rules most characters have when you're thinking about improvising you have to know like my my character would never talk about this subject or would feel this way about this subject or you know wouldn't wouldn't do this or wouldn't do that but Amy, she had none of that. So it was really fun and really easy to get back into character, just knowing that she had no rules. Or at least that's how I created her. <laughs> okay. It seems like actually she would be the opposite well, because she kind of, she went through her own, like she didn't start out as crazy. Right. But then as, it prog- as the movie progressed, got more and more uh, worse. Yeah. She got like even more and more clinging. I, you know, I tried in the beginning to really portray her as, um, and you'll see in the first couple scenes where she's being introduced that, you know, that she kind of seemed like a cool, normal girl. But then once she kind of tracked you and got her, you into her room, she just like let it explode. And I got to tell you, I've met plenty of people like that in L.A. that seem like you meet them. They seem like totally cool and normal. And then they're like, oh, now that you like me, I'm going to show you my actual crazy side. Sure. <laughs> well, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it almost so, a, a, that Jim Carrey. Let me show you something. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, at least that's good. Then it didn't feel totally out of the normal. <laughs> no, no. My poor fiance, when he came to the premiere, I'm in a, there's this really funny um, nightmare scene that Luke is having that he's at our wedding and I'm in a wedding dress. And I'm right. like, we're getting married. And uh, my fiance <laughs> was like, this is hitting a little too close to home for me. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I am pretty grounded, but you know, there with every character you play, there's parts of you in that character. So, um, you know, when he would see the little parts that, that are me, you know, kind of made him a little nervous, <laughs> as I'm sure it would for most guys. <laughs> so you're just acting right now, right? It's like, that's that's acting, right? <laughs> yeah. Did, did you kind of want to come back and go, true colors? Start singing the Cindy Lauper song? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I do. I get great joy out of pranking him and <laughs> annoying him sometimes. So sometimes I can go too far with that where he's so easygoing, but you can tell in his face. He's like, please stop. <laughs> if you scare me one more time. <laughs> I, I, this is where I've got to take us off on a slight tangent. Best prank you've pulled on your fiance. Um... Oh, this, so a lot of, some pranks happen just like they come to me and happen out of nowhere. He, um, the one that scared him the most, and it had zero planning. It just came to my head. He went downstairs to go get our laundry. And um, before he did, I was kind of joking about, and I put the blanket over my head and, uh, and he saw me do it. And then he, when he walked out, I thought, you know, it'd be so funny if I pile up the pillows where I was sitting and put the blanket over it and if i go in the closet he's gonna think that i'm still silly and just sitting on the couch so i did that he walked in the room with the laundry and i came out and yelled and he screamed like a little girl <laughs> that really that really got him and it was it was very quick it was like the 20 seconds it took him to go downstairs and grab our laundry um i also did this one was a little bit more elaborate when he was in the shower I took his phone, um, took a screenshot of his homepage, made that screenshot his wallpaper, and moved all of his apps to a different page. <laughs> so when he opened his phone, he would try and, you know, click on the buttons, and none of them would work. But he kind of figured out right away, he's like, you did something. <laughs> so he's just come to expect to be on his toes. Now you're going to have to get more more elaborate. Yeah. yeah. I um there was this one prank with um so my best friend is dating his best friend. That's how we met. And um first year we were dating, Katie and I we went to like a fake tattoo, like a Hollywood tattoo place and um we got little tattoos, fake ones, and we put them like on the top of our butts and wrapped it with the plastic and everything to try and make it look like a real tattoo. We took all of these like Instagram 
hands outside a real tattoo parlor being like, oh, we're going to go, we're getting tattoos today. And then we showed them later and they pretty much figured out right away that it was a prank. But <laughs> we had a great idea that sometime in the future on April, what are you doing? Sorry, my cat is on April Fool's Day, me and her are going to actually get tattoos and pull that again. Just so they're going to be like, hey, guys, you tried this one seven years ago. And I'll be like, yeah, it was a funny prank. And the next day, they're like, why is this tattoo not coming off? <laughs> <laughs> it's the long game. It's all about the long game. Okay. Now that's some <laughs> commitment to the prank. Yes. <laughs> I like it. I grew up with three brothers and I went to summer camp. So, you know, pranking's in my blood. It all makes sense now. <laughs> so getting back to the film, um, you, you have the crush the whole time on Luke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what was the decision or how did the decision come about that you actually follow him to a meeting? Right. So that part of the movie, I haven't really explained yet. So the, the B story in it is that there's a girl named Kara that works um, as a journalist. And um, she's going to do an article about sex addiction. So she goes to um, a sex act, meaning just to kind of like figure out what it's about and maybe write something on it. And Luke, even though he doesn't like Amy, falls for this character. Kara. So I end up towards the end of the movie getting kind of stocky and uh, I do follow him and wait outside this meeting and see them flirting and that kind of drives my craziness from a probably an 11 to a 12. Hopefully hopefully your fiance didn't say there. This is getting a little too close to home. Yeah, this is <laughs> Luckily, I'm not very uh, I'm not very stocky, thank goodness, but yeah, I can be pretty out of the box. So, I don't think that freaked him out that much. Hey, being out of the box is okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's better than like being so, boring. This is true. That's right. This is true. Yeah. Some, sometimes we're so, so far out of the, the box worrying the each other's box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the uh, the pine cone scene, right? Yes, that's the pine cone <clears throat> scene. Um, and filming that, I accidentally um, did hit the actress who played Kara once in the foot with a pine cone. <laughs> and she was, I mean, if she, hopefully if she's listening, she kind of over-exaggerated how much it hurt. I mean, come on, it was pine cone. She kind of like, uh, <laughs> she got kind of upset with me. And I'm like, I'm okay, I clearly didn't mean to actually hit you, you know, so, um, right. but yeah, on set accidents, you know, got to call SAG for any emergency. She was fine. She ended up being fine, but maybe it's a little bit of a, a shock of getting hit, but I was supposed to hit um, Shane, who plays Luke, and, you know, I, I do do some sports, but, you know, I haven't played baseball since eighth grade. I don't have the best, you know, <laughs> best throw so um, most of them did hit him but um yeah once i did miss and hit the actress who played kara luckily it wasn't anywhere near her beautiful face it was just on her foot hey it's method acting yeah, it helps sure. her get into the role that much more yeah, yeah. make it seem more believable mm -hmm. yeah so and plus you know it's a pine cone so it's a pine cone 
Yeah, um, something funny is um, in Kara's roommate in it, her like gay best friend character, um, mm. that actor and I actually were on Modern Family together a year prior to okay. filming this movie. What a small world, huh? Yeah, really. <laughs> we showed up on set and we're like the Spider-Man meme. Like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a small world. I've heard that somewhere before, but I'm sure. Yeah, something like Disney? Never heard of it. No, but the the comedy world in um, L.A. is pretty small. You know, a lot of us all know each other. And there's only so few comedy theaters where, you know, Mm. we we see each other. And everyone is such different types that a lot of people will be like, oh, I need a blonde kind of out of the box, wild improviser. You know, I'll have people recommend me for that. Where you'll hear, you know, I'll get calls from people who I haven't met. They're like, oh, you, I know you're big in the improv scene because people have talked about you. So it is like a very small kind of niche um, thing. When you go from all actors to comedy and improvising actors. That shocks me a little bit, especially yeah. to hear about Hollywood. You, you would think yeah. with how big the industry is, especially there. And now you hear the expression, you you throw a hand grenade and you wipe out a good chunk of actors in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Um, to hear that the, the, the improv specialists, I guess, so to speak, um, yeah. y'all, y'all would be specialists in improv. Yeah. Um, it's such a small, small group. Yeah, it's a, it is a pretty small group and like, you know, everyone who does comedy, they're going to the same open mics and everyone kind of all knows each other. Now, I wouldn't say everyone knows everyone, but it is a smaller world than you think. Um, it's not surprising to see people you know on set. I was on this big um, internet show called um, Part Timers. It was on the YouTube channel of Smosh, which is a big uh, YouTube channel. And um, first day on set, I walk in and the head of art department is a friend of mine that I know in the industry. So, you know, there's so many different roles in film that you don't even think about as a, a non-filmmaker that there's plenty of people that you're going to see again and again. You might work with the same directors or someone that who was your assistant director. You might do a commercial and they're the director now. And it's very, you have to be nice to everyone because a PA might be, you know, a producer one day. So, yeah, well, that's a, that's a good one general anyway, but yeah, I'm from the Midwest, so I'm nice to everyone, but sometimes, um, you can get, you can get some diva behaviors on set, not from me, but from other people. Where in the Midwest (laughs) would you admit you're from? I'm from Chicago. Oh, okay. And actually from Chicago, not from like Indiana. I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago, but I went to high school in downtown Chicago. And then I went to Northwestern, which is in Evanston. So I was kind of all around Chicago for 22 years. So is that what, what got you into improv? Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of it. I was 
I was one of those weird people that once I could talk wanted to be an actor. And I was mm-hmm. always very into comedy as a kid. Instead of watching uh, Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, I was watching Nick at Night. That was my jam. I Love Lucy. That was my jam. And you'll mm-hmm. hear that from most female comedians that like they grew up obsessed with the Carol Burnett show and obsessed with I Love Lucy. And it was the same way for me. And um, maybe having three brothers, I love being the center of attention um so and i was a big i still am huge musical theater geek so i was really big into singing and dancing and going to musicals and going to plays and that um and then i started doing improv in middle school and then i did second city while i was at northwestern and okay. um yeah oh, nice. So you were you you did do Second City at the most infamous Second City. I mean, you have to. If you're in Chicago, you got to do it. I mean, especially if you're, if that's something you're really into, I would actually, I did it while I was at Northwestern. So instead of going out on Friday nights, I had improv class all Saturdays. So I was, I was that kid who like went to bed at 930 on Friday night. So I couldn't be at improv (laughs) school all day on Saturday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going to go. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. No, it's not okay. It, it happens to me almost every interview. It's like, I get it. You, you, like you, you mentioned something. I had it, but I'm listening to the rest of your story, and it just went. That's okay. It's, it's okay. called getting old, Mike. <laughs> Don't remind me. So what? So what is it about improv that appeals uh, to you so much? Um, you know, I've always loved larger than life characters. Growing up, I was obsessed with all Christopher Guest movies. Um, my mm. favorite movie growing up was Clue. Um, uh. Always loved. Yeah, I love Clue. I know I can do the last twenty minutes by heart. Long that story is, short, yeah. too late. <laughs> too late. <laughs> I, I always, hear me out, I always thought Clue should be the next Rocky Horror Picture Show when it comes to midnight movies. Yeah, it should be. I mean, those, I mean, Clue is so, so good. I love that movie so much. And I, I probably shouldn't have been in, that into it when I was that young. But, mm. you know, I would watch it every day when I was like seven years old. I was so obsessed with it. I One day I got a piece of paper and I wrote down the entire script. This is pre-internet oh, wow. time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> now, did you hear they're doing a remake of it? <sighs> I, I never did a remake of it, but I definitely um, would put on the last 20 minutes of the movie. I would go through the whole end monologue and perform that for wow, they're- they're actually family. talking about remaking it. They are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they could do that. Their cast is insane. The only way I could see or I would accept if they remake it is if they do a sequel. Yeah. And it's based on only and I only know this because we actually own the newer version of the game. Um, we have a version of the game that's got the traditional clue mm-hmm. board and then you can flip it over and you're on a boardwalk. So there's oh. a boardwalk version. If it took place on the boardwalk, based on the boardwalk story of the yeah. game, I would accept it as a film. Well, but I if they remake the I original, no. Remake 
cult classics. Like, yeah. I don't think... Yeah. And don't, Clue actually mm. did not do that well in theaters when it first came out. Um, you know, I um, it was like John Landis's passion project. He wanted to do this movie forever, and yeah. no one would want to make it. No one wanted to make it, and it, it didn't do that well until, you know, later on it became this little cult classic. I mean, right. I'm sure if you look it up, it probably didn't... It still hasn't made that much money i'm sure um i don't see i, I don't remember how, yeah i i don't see how you could it, that's just that's weird to me like how could you remake something like that you can't remake no. you know it's, uh, it's like them wanting to remake um princess bride you, yeah you 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 can't no um It'll never work. Yeah, that's why you have to see independent original films like Addicted to You. Exactly. But uh, um, <laughs> budget budget for Clue was fifteen million. Its box office was fourteen point six million. Yeah, it lost money. But how much has it made since then? Does it say? Um, that I would have to go to Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Now, Rotten Tomatoes audience score is eighty six percent. Tomato meter is sixty one percent. So, I mean, it's a great film. I mean, that does yeah. well for for that. Uh, it definitely has a following. Oh yeah. Oh, I love yeah. it. Uh, I've always said I would love if I ever owned a movie theater. I would definitely turn it into. I, I would do Fridays and Saturday midnight nights show. midnight showings of it with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And I would encourage people to dress the parts <laughs> um yeah and, and, and I would I would love to be able to start that trend. Yeah. Because no, I um, yeah, have a Tim Curry night. I love exactly. I mean Tim Curry. I mean that's you can't oh, get yeah. too much than Tim Curry. Nope. He's um, amazing. I am not getting. I'm not seeing the information. Oh, hey, maybe it's on IMDb. Let me tell me. Um, being the Clue fan you are, uh, whether you caught it then or you've caught it now, did you pay attention to the soundtrack and see how? Oh, the- yeah. Music played was so brilliantly done. Well, I um I've always been pretty um nerdy where I love um like the clothes and music of you know the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. So um all of that like old music and costumes, that was part of the reason I loved that movie so much. Mm. Um, according to all I'm getting is box office numbers. I don't have anything since, uh, the budget was estimated 15 million opening weekend. It drew, um, 2.01 million, uh, gross use us was 14.6 gross worldwide was 14.6. So I don't think this aired much really outside of the U S um, now I remember my question. You said musical theater. What was the first soundtrack you ever bought or a musical? Oh, man. Um, because I also started as a technician in theater slash musical theater uh, before going into to live entertainment. The, the first, because I was going to musicals since I was very little. Most kids couldn't sit through it, but um, me... I was obsessed with it. So my grand, both my grandmothers and um, my mom would take me. So, you know, probably some of the classics, like all of that Oscar and Hammerstein um, carousel. Those are probably one of the first I um, would listen to. But um, 
Then let me rephrase. Yeah. First one you bought with your own money. Um, I probably bought, um, so I went to NYU for a summer program. And part of that musical theater summer program is that they took us to see, um, we went to eight different musicals. And I definitely bought, you know, I loved the Grey Garden soundtrack with okay. Christy Nebersall. Um, and that is a weird off the box, yes, off the box, yes, out of the box musical. Um, you know, Legally Blonde, Spring Awakening. Um, but I was, um, I guess before that would be Avenue Q was a couple years before that. That always made me laugh really hard. Or 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Those are all uh, great, fun musicals. For those who don't know, Avenue Q is Muppet slash Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And a, adult version. And a very adult version. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you thought Melissa, Car- Melissa McCarthy's... Um, movie twisted the Muppets Avenue Q she doesn't come close to touching what Avenue Q did oh definitely not um now I guess to to show my age um my first is like I said I I started off as well in musical theater slash theater Um, my first show was a musical uh, that I worked on while I was in high school. It was an oh. off-Broadway show in upstate New York. Um, my first musical soundtrack that I bought that was based on a musical, um, again, showing my age, was Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah. But then again, I mean, that's a classic. You know, it, was, it was fairly new when when oh, I bought it. Oh, when you, yeah. yeah. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. As Derek rubbed in earlier, I, I'm old. Um <laughs> But I think I think one of my favorite musical soundtracks that I like, and I ended up, it was definitely one I made sure I bought both the London and U.S. versions. And I always wanted them to release a version after the Berlin Wall came down because they changed it almost immediately when it was on tour. It was chess. Oh, yeah. Chess. Yeah, that it, that has some awesome music. That's great. And One Night in Bangkok was like yeah. one of the first songs to put our first musicals to put a song back on the top 40 charts in oh, a yeah. long time. Yeah, you would actually I think a lot of people would be surprised how many um my fiance like he has heard every Cole Porter song like okay. all of us have but people don't know that Cole Porter wrote you know a whole like American songbook that you know we every basically every Frank Sinatra song every right. jazz singer has done a version of his songs right. but most people don't yeah. know that you know he did a lot of musicals and a lot of these songs are from musicals and they might know um you know they might know a different version of the song um but there are a lot of songs and musicals that people don't realize they you know they become sort of pop songs yeah. that people do don't recognize as being from musicals oh it's like Irving Berlin yeah uh, exactly you listen to a lot of his music and if you're familiar being Jewish it helped me I listen to a lot of his songs I'm like wait 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 we do this tune during services yeah, because he pulled from from the chanting of services uh-huh. or songs from from different services for his tunes. Like this is so wild. I know this. This is so familiar, and then it just clicks. Like okay, and there's a lot of people who don't realize. Um, even like Stephen Sondheim and Rodgers and Hammerstein, they would pull from what they grew up around popular tunes and twist them into their own stuff. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, Wait a second. Did, earlier, did I say Oscar and Hammerstein? I'm so out of that's it. All right. I it's I okay. think I we, definitely we think- said that. I'm saying I'm a musical theater geek, and you know what? This is my fourth interview today, so I might be a little off, but we, I hope we will, no one heard that and were disgusted that I didn't say it correctly. We will We will just admit, just right? Just edit that in post. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to leave it in because I'm going to use the excuse right now. That wasn't Kat that was talking at that moment. It was Amy that was talking at that moment. That was Amy. That was that Amy. Was Amy. <laughs> sure. And on that note, Bring it I want to thank down. you guys for having me on today. I have to, um, I have to head out. I gotta do my Valentine's Day thing today. Are you guys doing anything there? Uh, actually, I had an early shift at work for once and came home and got to spend it with my wife and daughter. And oh, nice. Since nice. they all Disney premiered Zombies Two tonight, we watched Zombies Two with my daughter. Oh, fine, <laughs> fine. Since she's all, well, into I'm that. going to uh, I'm going to drive to Arizona with my fiance. My parents are going to be there, and my brother and his wife are coming tomorrow. And uh, we're all big golfers, so we're going to get uh-huh. some golfing in this this weekend. Then you need you need to come down to my neck of the woods and hit some of these golf courses here at Walt Disney World. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because two of, I know for sure, two of them is what, um, the, was it the Bay Lake Invitational? Or mm-hmm. played, was played here at Walt Disney World. Oh, wow. And yeah, they played on the Palm and Magnolia. Oh. They're gorgeous courses. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for, for, uh, for Oh, our pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, great. And uh, I'll be listening. I'll I'll find you guys. Awesome. Oh, before you go, before you go though, we should ask about um, where to find you online and, and everything. Oh yeah. So um, you. you can find me on Instagram at cat um, as in you know C A T, and my last name is Alter A L T E R. Um, I'm easily Google Googleable, you know, just with Cat Alter. You know, my website's up there. You know, you could probably find my blood type on Google, but I'm very, very easy to find. So um, when, I went, when I went to Google you, I saw this cat in in beach robe standing behind a podium. Oh, that's me. That's oh, okay. what I look okay. like. Yeah, okay. that's me. Um, but my <laughs> website is um, www.catalter.com. And there you can see a lot of my um, comedy reels. You can see a lot of the sketch and improv I've done. And then, um, you know, go watch Addicted to You on Fandango or on Amazon. And, you know, once you watch it, you know, you can rate it. And then re- in the reviews, you can say how awesome Cat is and that she didn't send you here to say how awesome she is. <laughs> and that you heard her on Weeby Geeks. Yes. And you heard yes. her portray Amy saying Oscar and Hammerstein. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, so. it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. Welcome to the Cafe 80s. And welcome back. Actually, we're not in the 80s. Uh, we are in 2020 um but you never know when you go back in time are you telling me you built a time machine out of a delorean no 
<laughs> but I will say thank you again to Kat Alter for coming on the show. She she was definitely a lot of fun, especially when we uh, when we went off on the tangents. And it is Alter, mm. not Altair. Um, so um, let's hit some news since we still got time to kill and have fun with this. Um, we had talked as we were prepping. I found so much on the backside. On my end, you're going to start off with your news first, and then we're just going to hammer. I'm just going to hammer down the road on my end. <laughs> All right. So um, I think we've talked about this before, but um, Kevin Smith is doing a Masters of the Universe animated series. It's going to be called Master of the Universe Revolution. Um, and they recently released, released the cast list, the voice list, and, uh, there's some impressive names on here. For example, uh, it will start off with one of the biggest ones. I love this. Uh, Mark Hamill is going to be playing Skeletor. Never heard of him. Oh, wait. <laughs> Skeletor? He's the main villain. Um, he's got the skull fit. Oh, he goes by Red Skull too, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that. I love the idea of Mark Hamill playing Skeletor. Yes, just that alone gets me, gets me excited for this. No, wait, there's knowing, more. Knowing that the original voice of Skeletor Hamill will have a great. He's not going to do the part wrong. Mm. Um, then we have Lena Headey as Evelyn, and uh, you, some of you may know her as uh, from Game of Thrones, um, 300, other things. Um, Chris Wood, who I'm not, I'd have to see a picture of him, but he's playing Prince Adam slash He-Man. Okay. Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller is Tila. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Liam Cunningham, who is also in Game of Thrones, is Man at Arms. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Stephen Root is Cringer. <laughs> I love Stephen Root. Yes. Um, he Cringer. That <laughs> he played. Funny. He played Zeb in uh, in Rebels. Am Did I? he? Unless I'm wrong, which I could be. No, Steve Blum. Uh, to me, Steve's in Steven this world. Root. <laughs> Stephen Root is in Barry. Uh, he was in Office Space. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. He's a, a good actor. Um, then we got Diedrich Bader as <sighs> King Randor and Trapjaw. Uh, Diedrich Bader is awesome. Uh, Griffin Newman as Orko. Um, oh, I think that's the guy who played Arthur on The Tick. Yeah. Wait, uh, which Tick? The Amazon or the original? The liar. Yeah, the Amazon one, I believe. Uh, the Amazon one, 2017, Arthur was Griffin Newman. Yep. So he's playing Orko. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> that one, that one's good. That's um, awesome. Tiffany, Tiffany Smith, who I'm not familiar with, is Andra, who is a character I'm not familiar with. Maybe a new one. Griffin Newman was also Rick the Intern in Kevin Costner's Draft Day. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that movie for one major reason. It's about the Cleveland Browns on draft day. <laughs> they were the targeted team for that movie. But Kevin Costner is the GM who only knew. Uh, you never have thought a few years after that. That was in 2014. A few years later, it almost became a reality. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Next up, we have Henry Rollins um, as Triclops. Henry oh, wow. Rollins used to be in Black Flag, Rollins Band. He's done some acting. Yeah. He's going to be Triclops. Now, oh, wow. this is an interesting one. Um, Alan Oppenheimer is originally Skeletor in the original He-Man, is playing Moss Man. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I wonder how he felt about losing uh, Skeletor. Susan, I, I, well, I mean, he's he's doing it. He's, you know, playing maybe... maybe He's uh, he's older now, so he doesn't feel like he could play the main role, but he could play a smaller role in Moss Man, yeah. I guess. I'm hoping. <laughs> uh, Susan Eisenberg as Sorceress. I'm not familiar with her. Um, Alicia Silverstone as Queen Marlena. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Justin Long as Roboto. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. Jason Mewes, of course, if Kevin Smith's doing it, you know Jason Mewes is going to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> and he's saying Stinkor. <laughs> I, w- I was, oh. I know this is sad to say, I was kind of hoping Jason Mewes was going to be the voice of Howard the Duck before that got canceled. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot that got canceled. That would have been perfect. Mm. Um, next up, we have Phil Lamar as Hero. Ooh, and of great course, choice. Yes, yes, Phil Lamar's awesome. And he's been on Weeby Geeks, although I wasn't around during that time. We may, have okay. to see, we may have to see about getting back. Mm, that'd be cool. Ooh, here's an interesting one. Tony Todd from Candyman is playing Scarecrow. I still want to get Tony Todd on. Mm, we can get him and Phil Lamar. That'd be cool. Yeah, it would. <laughs> Uh, Cree Summer as Priestess, Kevin Michael Richardson as Beastman. Oh, I'm still trying to get mm. him on the show as well. Ah, interesting. Um, and then we have the Batman himself, Kevin Conroy as Merman, which is interesting. That, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. And then uh, Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, is playing Eilina. Okay. So uh, there you go. There's, there's some this is going to be something. Yeah. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, uh, it sounds I cool. I don't think it, I still don't think it has, yeah, there's currently no release date yet. But, uh, man, this is going to, this is going to be good. Yeah. I can't wait to see this. Yeah. yeah. I, I was I mean, already excited that, that Kevin Smith was doing it, but <clears throat> with that, all those voices, oh, yeah. man. It's yeah. Something. Did you ever, I know we've talked about it on the show. Did you ever, um, get around to watching any of Ultraman? Not yet, no. Like I said, I was shocked when I heard it in English and not subtitled, because mm. I was expecting subtitles with it. Right, yeah. When we did the story, they said that it was going to be done subtitled. Mm. So, um, like, okay. So I was going to get it on subtitle. <laughs> so, um, well, I guess it switches over to me. <sighs> Indeed. We're going to start off with this one. Harrison Ford tells Ellen that Indiana Jones 5 will start in late summer. Ah. Uh. 
I I am quite interested to know what genre they're going after with this film. I am as well. Uh, Chris and I were talking about it on the latest episode of Keepers of the Fringe, and we were saying with how old Harrison Ford is now, are they going to have to move it to the 60s or... <clears throat> or know, or they... jump up to the 70s. Right, yeah. And make it an adventure with a granddaughter, which is the almost the direction I want to see. Not because it's a female, but I almost... I, it's just to me, it almost seems like the natural progression mm. would be a granddaughter instead of a grandson. Because we've seen that step down. Do you think? Of, okay, here's Harrison Ford. And then in three, we go father to son and see. And then with young Indiana Jones, we've seen that father to son. I want to see that mm. grandfather to granddaughter approach, especially yeah. with the popularity I, of. I uh, think it would Gorgoff. work. It's the 70s. Yeah. I just don't yeah. know. Yeah. I just don't know what what you would do because this yeah, is that's what we were trying to figure out because I don't know if Chris agrees with me. I know you and I have this agree to disagree approach over Crystal Skull. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. No, I can tell you he agrees with me. <laughs> to me, I thought since the original three were based on the old adventurer movie serials, they were done well. They captured the old matinee pre-movie adventurer short or adventurer movie serial vibe perfectly. It was done well. Mm -hmm. I mean, they captured that perfectly. Um, Since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was supposed to be a spoof of the adventurer B-movies, I thought they nailed the genre. I didn't at all. I didn't think it worked, and I had a lot of problems with that movie. See, that's where I think it did work, because I, I, I love B-movies, I, and I love a lot of the I, I, but adventurer it, style was, from, it from the not, 50s and 60s. It, it had the camp. It, my own, it had too much camp. It didn't, it just, it did not work for me at all. The, my only beef with it was Shia LaBeouf. Well, yeah, that was a big one too. Because it was Nat. He, he went to Brando to James Dean with his role. Mm. And I, w- I think it would have worked better if he was trying to be a Brando Dean esque character, but was still too nerdy to pull it off. Even though he was trying to accomplish the look. I think it would have worked better had somebody else playing the part. (laughs) That too. But I'm saying with that character role, if he was, if he was trying, if he was nerdy trying to be cool. Yeah. And and still be able to ride the the motorcycle and everything else. Because obviously Mm. Harrison could do it as, or Indiana Jones could do it as well. But try and be nerdy, but cool. And and this is one of those few times I do say nerdy instead of geek and geeky. Um, (laughs) But like you said, Shia. LaBeouf was the wrong wrong person for it. Yeah. That and I just, it just, for me, it wasn't executed well. And, it, and for me, I looked at it, and, and again, I mean, this is where we had the respect of each other to, you know, to say agree to disagree. And it's the same way with how we feel about uh, The Last Jedi. I enjoy the film, mm-hmm. but there's, that's the one I'm the most critical about. And the stuff that bothered me, you didn't mind. And the stuff that bothered you in it, I didn't mind. And then there was some mm-hmm. stuff that we both said, yeah, they shouldn't have done that, period. <laughs> Um, 
I think for me, it's the fact that it didn't execute the way it, people wanted it to, and it felt odd because it didn't execute well, is what made it work, because that's that B-movie. Now, do I feel Spielberg might have gone too far with it? Yeah, I could see that. But with the intent and everything he was, they were doing, it worked. For you. For me. For me. And, and, and I, but to, to hear someone like yourself say it didn't work for me because it was too much, I I almost go well maybe it did work for you then. But I I don't try and change your mind. Um, and, and I and that's why I, I love chatting with you, and I love chatting with you know the other hosts that I work with on the other shows. Um, is we have that respect of saying it works for you, it doesn't work for me, and and we keep it that way. I I don't. We don't try and force each other, you know, force. Well, no, maybe it did work for you. You just don't realize it and you need to see it. No, we don't do that. But I get people at work who do that to me all the time. Yeah. And and it's like, and my opinion is. Internet all the time. Yeah. Oh, I care less about the internet. I know. I mean, look at, look at Star Wars. I mean, I. I have no problem with the sequel trilogy. I mean, I I have problems with moments of of the film, mm. but I still love it. And, and to say, oh, Disney Disney messed it up. No, mm. I think they t- loosely took Lucas's thoughts with the treatments he had done and said, nah, kind of see the direction, but we're going to get there in our own way. Sure. Um, but I think there was a lot of other issues, too, that, unfortunately, nature of the biz, people were listening to popular opinion mm. or listen to what was being said the loudest from who was saying it the loudest instead of just letting Star Wars be Star Wars and do what you think is right for the story. And really, it's an impossible task if you really think about it. Do to, you know to bring back Star Wars and right. be, you know make everybody happy and see that's that's what I liked about Force Awakens. It was still in the in the it was still Star Wars, but it was how God, I'm trying to stave off a uh, another sneeze. Um, <laughs> but it was how J.J. Abrams wanted to tell the story since mm-hmm. George Lucas stepped away. <laughs> And they knew, okay, we're going to turn the wills into something even more microscopic is not going to work. Okay, I get it. And I understand George got a little butt hurt, but (laughs) come on, you sold the company off. You got to realize this is the potential of what's going to happen. But is it Disney? No, it's Lucasfilm. It's Kathleen Turner, uh, Kathleen Kennedy. She's doing fine with the company. Company's still making money. Oh, yeah. Um, with the trilogy, were there some poor decisions made? Yeah. Was there some poor decision? I mean, Rogue One, Disney, quote unquote, Disney Star Wars. And it was brilliant. Absolutely loved it. My opinion. I know a lot of people out there don't like it because why really? did we, I've heard quite a few people, especially at work. Why did we need a movie about something that we kind of already knew the story of? Um, no, all we knew is a group went to go get the plans. We saw how it was executed. I would love, I mean, to be honest with you, I would love to see a one-off film of how the Bothan Spy Network Mm. got the plans for Death Star 2. But you know what? The other thing is, even though we all know, you know, the the kind of basic idea 
of getting the plans and everything. That was never anything I had imagined. No. So it was it was we cool got, to actually. And we got the best five minutes or best two minutes of Darth Vader in any Star Wars film. Oh yeah. That was all. I mean, point blank. Without Rogue One, we would not have had Vader's best moment in Star Wars. Mm. I would say his second best moment in Star Wars now is when he enters the Tantive Five for the first time when we first are introduced to him in Star Wars. Mm Mm-hmm. So here's all this smoke, and here's this tall, black, menacing figure walking through with this breathing, and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> Someone's going to die. <laughs> um, See, now, for, for me, I would, I, would, um, I would have been fine if they hadn't continued the the uh, the saga and they just did the like the Rogue One and stuff. I would love to just see movies like Star Wars movies like that. Yeah, that, see, that I, gets I, into I, other parts of. The- I enjoy Solo, but as we've talked about, Solo fell on the same path as John Carter. There was no advertising. There was no right. promotion. Right. And, and that bothered all of us over on Wookiee Radio. Mm-hmm. Ron Howard did a great job considering the mess he was left with. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was definitely one of those scenarios that, uh, you know, the, the cast was reporting to to Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, this isn't the Star Wars you think it is, and it's going to be an issue. So, I mean, when the cast is aware, uh, this is a problem. You know you got problems. Um, again, I would love to have seen another... Now, we hear many of Bothans died to bring us these plans. Cool. Right. Let's do Let's see it. Let's see it. How did, where were these plans kept and how did they get to them? Right. So, I mean, I would, I would love to see it. So, yeah, we've got um, Indiana Jones 5's coming. It's just. <laughs> we went way <laughs> off on a tangent on yes, that one. Yes, we did. So I'm trying to bring it back. Um, so, yeah. Um, then next we've got, uh, oh, that's comic there. Uh, there has been pictures leaked of, but it, they're not solid pictures of the full suit. We, we've seen mm. the cow. We've seen the chest logo. We're talking about Robert Pattinson's Batman. I'm not a fan of the way he looks with the cow. I did catch a picture of it right before we started recording. And yeah, I don't mm. The cape's I need got, to see a bad picture of it, but... The cape's got a slight collar to it. Mm. Really? This is 80s preppy Batman. <laughs> He's going to flip that collar up like yeah. like our like we did with polos back in the day. Oh, it's cool if we flip the collar up on our polo. Why won't it stay there? I don't know. It's too limp. Something you don't want to <laughs> hear on Valentine's Day, which is the day we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still before midnight. <laughs> oh, even at work, even at work, we were talking about something that some stuff that needed to be worked on on some props and whatnot, and he still almost went to the gutter with with the comments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I want to give him a chance. I'm trying to. Stay, yeah, I'm trying to stay optimistic. But um, apparently, like the one thing that's been talked about is there was a uh, pictures from London 
where they're showing Pattinson's stunt double being tackled to the ground by thugs for an intense scene for the movie that's come out. Um, so, and then, you know, we get the pictures. I'm like, I'm, I'm just not mm. quite there Yeah, with it. I'm, I'm just not. Um, but to continue on, story is this. Yeah. And see, and I'm not really sold on the bat either, on the chest. No. Yeah. And it, and it almost looks like that they're weapons. Yeah, I noticed that. They almost look like guns. Because mm. it's like the hammers are, are the, the wingtips. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Is, is, I mean, am I wrong with this? No, I know. I see exactly what you're saying, yeah. But I, I've seen no one else bring up that, that same concern. Mm. You know, are these taser guns? Are these, which very well could be tasers. Yeah, could. But, I mean, these look like something that could be removed from the chest and used right. for something. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah. And this made me think about, oh, there are also leaked photos of Emilio Estevez <laughs> as Gordon Bombay for the new Mighty Ducks series coming to the Disney Plus. And Laura Graham has been cast in the in the show as well. Oh yeah, I heard about that. And this is supposed to be a sequel. The show is supposed to be a continuation from the movies. So I think that's kind of cool. But what's also cool is if you've been waiting, you can now jump on board because you're still going to be waiting until September 4th. But you can wait knowing you are going to have a physical copy or downloadable copy of Marvel Avengers. Yay. Now, you can get the standard version for $59.99 for PS4, Xbox One, and the download on Steam for PC, which I found interesting that you get it through Steam. Um, or you can get the Deluxe Edition, which is $79.99. And the Deluxe Edition is going to have in-game bonus items, including Obsidian Outfit Pack with six hero outfits and six exclusive Obsidian nameplates. Ooh. Problem is... If you do the digital download, you had to pay it all at once. You can't just drop money on it slowly. Right. That's the only downfall. Give me a payment plan for it, folks. Um, but then for PS4 only is the Earth Earth's Mightiest Edition for for a hundred and ninety nine ninety nine. Holy moly! I did not stutter on that. You get holy moly. You get a physical copy of the deluxe edition plus a twelve inch gentle giant Captain America statue. So one we're gentle giant that's not cheap there to begin with that statue alone could be 200 bucks no kidding at 12 at 12 inch um so i'm already i I think you got your money right there but an exclusive steel book case a hulk bobblehead a molnir keychain Black Widow's belt buckle, Iron Man's prototype armor blueprints, and wait, there's more. Kamala Khan's honorary Avenger pin and commemorative Avengers group photo. (laughs) That's kind of definitely not something I want to pay for. I I agree, but awesome. 
it's, it's pretty <laughs> impressive for the price. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. That's but, that's better than, than some things I've seen out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, there's also a exclusive digital version for PlayStation that has a Miss Marvel nameplate and a $1,000 credit to use towards superhero customizations. Best part is, if you hmm. order the Deluxe or and Earth's Mightiest Edition, you get access to the game 72 hours before release. Whoa. Actually... Pre-ordering any version of the game also gives players access to some bonus content, including online beta access, an exclusive nameplate, a Marvel Legacy outfit pack that features comic book-inspired outfits for each hero, um, and 72-hour access to the game. Interesting. Yeah. But we're going to continue on. It was also announced this week Hasbro Pulse has started pre-order on the Vintage Collection Imperial Troop Transport as seen on The Mandalorian. Uh, I remember, and I was like, oh... <laughs> And this is one that you would load up with not remnant stormtroopers, but clean stormtroopers. <laughs> and for those of you who are into this vehicle, uh, let's see. The Star Wars Vintage Collection 3 and 3 quarter inch scale um, will feature the Kenner, original Kenner branding. Uh, the toy troop transport vehicle is inspired by the vehicles in the Mandalorian TV series with realistic detailing, including removable roof, opening doors, fold down seating, swivel turret and blaster storage. The Imperial troop transport toy can be displayed in action figure and vehicle collections. Um, so, yeah. And the pictures of this on their site are absolutely amazing. Indeed. Like, and I love how on the interior, yeah, you got people who can ride on the outside. But, yes, they aren't kidding when they say there are fold-down seats inside. You have the jump seats on inside the thing with a bench bench seat at the one end. <laughs> it's just, this thing's gorgeous. Just absolutely gorgeous. It really is. Mm. Um, you could pre-order it now for $70. Yeah. Now, I will say, this is the third version of this that has come out. Third? Wow. Third. Well, remember, in 1979, we had oh. the original that had I the little sound sound drops on it. Yep. I didn't realize you were including that one. I am including that one. And that one was originally supposed to be inspired by something that was going to be in the films that never happened. Right. Then the second one came out in 2015 and is inspired by the troop transport. While, of course, had some minor changes to it, but inspired by the troop transport that we see in Star Wars Rebels, which we first see it on Lethal, and then we see it again on Mandalore as well. Right. Um, and on um, rebelscum.com, they have a picture with the two troop transports side by side. And, there, and there's a little bit of difference. The cockpits are definitely a lot different. Mm. Um, I'm trying to see if there were any other differences. Not really. I mean, there, there's some minor differences, but I mean, it's still, it's a cool piece. And then now we've got the one that really looks awesome. Uh, also, too, coming this April 
is the Lego Star Wars Character Encyclopedia, 3rd edition. It contains hundreds of Lego minifigs from the Brick Galaxy Far, Far Away. And the exclusive <laughs> minifig in this one is an exclusive Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not familiar with the Lego Star Wars Character Encyclopedias, um, you should look to the live action series by the same name. Basically, it's a list. Um, according to, we'll go this way. Uh, Kevin Downard, minifigure collector and creator of the Lego Star Wars collector app, says the character encyclopedias are some of the best Lego Star Wars books out there. For me, the minifigs are the most exciting part of a Lego set, so having books dedicated to them is pretty cool. The fact that there is an exclusive minifig in each one just makes it even better. Uh, the latest edition only has 200 entries and doesn't include every figure. By covering the best loved ones, it barely scratches the surface of the nearly 500 unique characters that LEGO has turned into minifigs. This publication is more suitable for fans who want to learn about Star Wars characters in their LEGO minifig format rather than aimed at the LEGO collector who wants to track all the different Star Wars minifigure variants. Um... I don't know which way I would want to go. I would almost say I want both. Give me my cake and let me eat it too. I'm not saying, but I'm saying. Um, now I do have. I think I've got the first one. Do you? Yeah, because I have Han, and it came with Han with the medal from the Yavin, from the Yavin ceremony. Mm. And I have it. The second book came with um, the second variation of the prototype Boba Fett. Wow. Um, now, it has been in its third edition. The series will be highlighting the world of Lego Star Wars for nine years. And each book has come with its own minifig. Uh, the new minifig of Darth Maul, which is an exclusive to this book, comes with an all new print. While the head element topped with a crown of horns, um, it bears Maul's serious face with new torso print is far more open to suggestion uh, with a glimpse of the character's tattooed and muscled chest. The bulk of the torso piece front and back is decorated to depict his hooded robe with the uh, the print of which extends down to the leg to the leg piece and partially covers the character's mechanical legs. Ooh. Oh. Oh, uh, hmm. So That's we're getting... Um, okay, this is what's great. With nine minifigure variations of Darth Maul already in the conga line. The only other time Darth Maul was produced by Lego with prosthetic legs was the Mandalorian Speeder, a set that was derived off the story arc from the fifth season of Clone Wars. Given the seventh Mm. Clone Wars season is due on the 21st, it's not surprising that DK has opted to dovetail their exclusive pack-in with the show's relaunch. After all, he's awesome. Um, So, this year's edition of the Lego Star Wars character encyclopedia adds the most vital third point to the release schedule to give us a trend of new of a new version almost every five years. That's putting the next update in 2024. Two years after the current Star Wars license ends. Um, so the hope is Lego renews so DK could, could, can bring us a fourth exclusive minifigure. Uh this copy is due out April 7th and has a suggested retail price of $19.99. Uh, you can pre-order now through Amazon. I imagine Lego will renew the license, but... You know. yeah. Well, 2024 would make it 25 years if they did. 
Mm. So, um, on top of that, for those of you who collect, hey, Hollow Chronicles, I don't know if you listen to us here, but I know you were, you listen to Wookie Radio since you've been on. Um, the vintage collection, Wave 11, has been spotted at retail. This set is the set that includes two remnant stormtroopers, two Cara Dunes, two clone troopers, and two Mandalorians per pack. How much I wouldn't, I would give to get a Mandalorian and Remnant Stormtrooper. Actually, even Cara Dune. All on vintage card. I could go for that. Clone Trooper, I'm, clone trooper, I'm iffy about. <laughs> that one I would get probably just to open so I could do an evolution of Stormtroopers. Oh, there you go. And I would consider getting a second Remnant Trooper again to continue that that uh, evolution. Here, Here's a Stormtrooper during. Here's a Stormtrooper after the fall of the Empire. <laughs> but the Mandalorian, yeah. And then also, too, the Black Series... Zori Bliss comes with a removable visor so you can actually see her eyes. Very cool. Um, But yet, there's more. This week, GameStop also released an exclusive Battle Droid from Battlefront 2 and Jedi Knight Revan in Black Series form. So, uh, these are going to go... These have been going quick, and I don't know if there's going to be a second production of them. Revan, I wouldn't mind owning. Yeah. And I don't... I mean, this Jedi Knight Revan, he's in white robes for one. <laughs> I mean, this thing looks gorgeous. My only problem with it, he has a purple lightsaber. <laughs> and I don't remember if he used purple in the game or not. <laughs> no, um, I don't remember. Been actually, a long time. actually, the Jedi Knight Revan wields a purple bladed lightsaber while cloaked in white Jedi robes in Star in the Star Wars Galaxy of Hero, Heroes mobile game. <laughs> But I'm not sure, but if he's in Galaxy of Heroes, then that makes him canon. But isn't he already canon? Because isn't the Sith Sith Troopers, don't, doesn't their group take his name? I'm not sure. But now this makes me wonder, was there a Darth Revan Black Series? There must have been. I'm curious. I thought that I could... I could be wrong, but I, re- I really thought there was. There was. Number 34 uh, came out in, when did he come out? 2016. Uh, and in the box, you had Darth Revan, a Jedi lightsaber hilt and blade, and a Sith lightsaber hilt <coughs> and blade. So he had both. And his Jedi saber is a purple saber. <laughs> I'm sorry, this should have been exclusive to just Samuel Jackson, but I get it. <laughs> Other characters can use it too. He, it's purple. Supposedly, supposed to have uh, show that your character. Oh, what was the purpose behind the purple one? I just saw it recently. I don't remember at this point in time. I'm not worried about it. Mm. Um, other than that, I think that was everything we co- needed to be covered. Right? I think so. I think that was enough. Um. So, uh, other than that, I don't think we Oscars surprises for you. Um, I don't think it wasn't really that big of a surprise. I'm a little surprised that Joaquin Phoenix won. Um, yeah, just because. Yeah. Um, and a little surprised that the uh, the Irishman got nothing. That was weird. Yeah, but it was. It was interesting that uh, that Parasite won. I've been hearing good things about it. 
Yeah, I I agree. I've I've heard some good things about it. Um, like you, I, I'm a little surprised by it. Um, after at first, I I was initially surprised. Um, that Tom Hanks was nominated for best supporting actor for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and then I watched it. I'm like, okay, uh, it's enjoyable. I I enjoyed it, but yes, yes, he is supporting actor in this. He's not the lead. No kidding. Okay, definitely worth it. And and, in it, they do question if if Mr. Rogers was a sniper. (laughs) So uh, I don't want to ruin the film if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Mm. Um, I do want to check it. Yeah. It, it's, it's worth checking out. It, it really is. And Hey, apparently over on comicology, this is my final thought. They have a star Wars starter bundle for 1999 in it. You get star Wars volume one trade paperback collection, star Wars, Vader, Darth Vader, number one, the Karen Gillian, Darth Vader, Aww. the fur, the fur. I think that's also, uh, but based on the first, eight issues six to eight uh yeah six to eight issues Hold on. uh collects vader's one, vader one through six so the first major story arc mm. uh star wars i believe also collects issues one through six yep um it also in this bundle is star wars dr afra one through six mm. uh, volume one which collects vo- issues one through six um, also in it is Star Wars Journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens Shattered Empire mm-hmm. also Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi Captain Phasma which I believe is a four issue run like Shattered Empire was yes I believe so. um, also Star Wars Poe Dameron Volume 1 The the Black Squadron 1 through 6 and then it uh, Journey to Star Wars Rise of Skywalker Allegiance issues 1 through 4 individually again 1999. Wow. They say it's a saving of 71%. That's a good I, deal. Yeah, considering Volume 1 Star Wars Skywalker Strikes is 1099. Vader, mm. 1099. Or Darth Vader, 1099. Dr. Aphra, 1099. Shattered Empire, 1099. Phasma, 699. Poe Dameron, 1099. And then two bucks each, or $1.99 each for each issue of Allegiance. Mm. Um, yeah, you're getting your money's worth out of this and it is so if you want to get into star wars comics this is a this will keep you reading for a while yeah and yeah i highly recommend it now i own i own all of those individual issues (laughs) me too um and i do read them on my uh on my tablet because i put my actual books in my box <laughs> which um i mean i totally totally i love don't get me wrong i do pull them out on occasion because i love touching the pages and i am seriously looking into buying the physical trade paperbacks so i could read the full story arcs all at one shot and not have to worry about okay i gotta pull it out of this bag put it back in this bag that way i can leave my individual issues alone but I also like having them on the tablet because I could take it anywhere and I don't have to worry about spilling anything or smudging anything on the pages. Because if I do, I just wipe the screen. Plus, I like the guided view that Marvel and Comicology have developed for reading comics. It helps me with my dyslexia. Mm. And it helps me keep the keep keep the story going proper instead of bouncing all over the place. 
Because I do have that problem. If, if if I read too slow, I I have paragraphs flip on me. So <sighs> it's it's wild, and I've been dealing with that all my life. Uh, it's absolutely wild. Uh, so I learned to speed read some to compensate, but it made it hard to really enjoy comics. But now that comicology with the digital has the guided view, I can <laughs> actually slow it down and enjoy the comics still. So that's good. Plug to um. The comicology, I guess, for that. So, uh, any final thoughts on your end? Nope. I got nothing. You got nothing. Well, on that note, there's only one thing our nothing leads us to want to ask. Want to know more? So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production. Some people say I look like Dan Aykroyd.